Hello and welcome to Haunted Hometowns with me, Blake Lambert Hack, your weekly true crime paranormal podcast. This season, I am covering cases in Venice, Italy, and tonight I am walking you all through the Council of Ten and their role in murdering and executing Venetians. They're responsible for the ghosts that roam in Death Alley in Venice, also the ghosts that roam in the Bridge of Sighs that connects the old Venetian prison Piombi to the new prison Prigioni Nuove, Pozzi, and many other areas in Venice. So we're going to jump right in. The Council of Ten, or just simply the Ten, was a governing body during the Republic of Venice between 1310 to 1797, which is a very long time. They had the power to impose punishments on on anyone, including nobles, and had jurisdictional mandates over state security. So they had a lot of fucking power. They were initially created to investigate a conspiracy against the sitting doge, Bajamonte Tiepolo was a Venetian noble who was unhappy with the politics of the sitting doge, Pietro Gradenigo. So he tried to organize a conspiracy to overthrow Pietro and the Great Council of Venice. And we all know how trying to overthrow the government goes. It's always messy it sometimes works rarely does it have a happy ending not that you shouldn't try but just know what you're getting yourself into and yes pietro wasn't a great doge at the time rome was so fed up with venice their politics and venice's military actions that they excommunicated venice I'm ready for DC to do that to Texas right about now, but that's neither here nor there. The Pope even granted freedom to anyone who attacked Venetians and or their property. So once again, I've said it before, the Pope, the papacy has a long lineage of doing bad things. This is just another example. The Pope was like, fuck Venice. Fuck those Venetians. Stomp them. Smack them. Curse at them. Whatever you want to do. And because there wasn't really a government at this time, like, I shouldn't say that. The country of Italy wasn't united at this point. So the Roman Catholic Church, aka the Pope, was pretty much in charge. And because the Pope gave people the freedom to kind of do whatever they wanted to do to Venice. This gave Bajamonte the chance he was waiting for. He was one of the, 
He was part of one of the oldest houses of Venice and had plenty of money to play around with. And the plan was to attack St. Mark's Square, assault the Doge's palace, and assassinate Pietro on June 15th, 1310. And there were three groups that were ready to ascend onto St. Mark's Square from three different directions. So this was a coordinated attack, or at least was supposed to. However, a really bad storm rolled in with intense winds, lightning, rain, thunder, everything I personally love. It just rained all day yesterday, and I was in heaven. Just thunder, rain, oh, so nice and peaceful. But in this sense, chaos. It prevented the one group under Bajamonte from traveling to the sea via boats. So we had one, two groups traveling by land to St. Mark's Square, and the other one was going to hop on boats and travel over through the lagoon. But because of the rain and stuff, they held back for a minute just to see if the storm would break. One group was unaware of the delay. I mean, you should probably think, hey, they're probably going to wait a minute because the sea's crazy. But they didn't technically know they were waiting. So the one group decided to attack St. Mark's Square regardless of the storm. But what they didn't know was that the Doge learned of the plans before the attack. So he was already ready with his own army. The first group was at a disadvantage. And by the time the second group arrived, most of group one was killed or captured. So the first group was like, fuck it, it's raining, we're going to fight in the rain. They hobble on over and attacked, surprised the Doge has their own defense. The Doge's army destroys this group. And then the second group finally makes it and they're like, oh shit, we didn't plan this correctly. The second group, also a lot of them seeing the devastation of the first group, retreated and tried to escape while group three had to land. They finally decided that, okay, the storm's not as bad. Let's go on and give it a chance. And they were on their boats, but the storm picked up again. And so they had to dock their boats nearby St. Mark's Square, not exactly where they needed to go, where the Doge's army captured the boat group. So the Doge's army really just depleted this attempt at mutiny. Bajamonte was too well-loved, though, that the Doge didn't feel comfortable executing him, which is such a funny thing to think. It's like, I don't mind executing these 50 other people, but you're a popular girl in school. We'll save your execution for another day, and we'll just excommunicate you. So they sent him away, and they burned Bajamonte's home to the ground, his home in Venice. Remember, his family's rich. 
And that is how the Council of Ten came to be, because they were tasked to investigate and prosecute all of the conspirators. The Ten Noblemen, who created the Council of Ten, it was one member from ten different families in Venice, and they were only meant to last a couple of months just to figure out this conspiracy and prosecute them. But their time was extended a couple of months, then for five years. Then on July 20th, 1355, the 10 became a permanent fixture in Venice government, becoming the most powerful and secretive group in Venice. In 1539, the council established the state inquisitors which consisted of three judges and the inquisitors were there to deal with state security threats. And that's very vague. State security threats could be anything from heresy to conspiracy to mutiny. It's just a wide range. And they were given full power to convict those accused of treason and they quickly created a network of spies and informants. And again, their standard of proof was so low that they convicted whomever they really wanted to and often held secretive trials. Court hearings, whether it's the Council of Ten or Inquisitors or whomever, court hearings no matter how small or large, happened in the Doge's Palace right on St. Mark's Square. It comprises of three separate areas built over a couple hundreds of years. It housed public offices, courtrooms, prisons, living quarters, armories, etc. Literally, the Doge didn't have to leave his palace if he didn't want to. That's kind of how I felt in college because I was living in a brand new building and everything was in this building. I lived on floor 30 of a 32 tall building. Floor two had food. Floor, I don't know, like six to 14 were all classrooms. The workout room was there. Like anything and everything you needed was in that building. And Chicago winters are crazy sometimes and so there was just one year that I barely went outside because it was so cold out and I didn't need to I mean it was depressing but that's pretty much what the doge could and probably did at some point in time there were other prisons in Venice and in surrounding towns where minor crimes were served like if you didn't pay back your debt or you're a prisoner of war, and so on. But for serious crimes, you served time in the prisons within the Doge's palace. And after the Ten convicted you, they would either send you to Pozzi, which was on the lower levels of the palace, or Piombi, which was in the attic of the palace. Pozzi, or the wells, was two floors, each with nine narrow rooms in concentric circles. 
This means they didn't have any contact with outside, no fresh air or sunlight. The ceilings of the cells were vaulted, but depending on how tall you were, you would not be able to stand up fully. I just learned from This Podcast Will Kill You that, I don't know if you've heard of the, it's called The Bends, and it has to do with pressure. A lot of divers deal with the bends or pilots or astronauts. But I learned that it's called the bends because I think Grecian era, the women had to wear such tight corsets and heavy fabric that to stand up straight or to look like you were standing up straight, the women had to like bend over to balance out all the weight on them. And so when you got the bends from diving too deep and coming up too fast, a lot of the times you were so weak that you bent over like those women. And so they called it the bends. Fascinating. that's kind of what I'm thinking here. Like these men can't even stand up straight in these cells. They're constantly bending over, sitting down, laying down. It's not comfortable. Let's put it that way. The entire cell was made up of larch wood, and the only furniture was a table used as a bed. So it's not even, they don't even get a pillow. I don't even know if they got blankets. You ate on this table, you slept on this table, you worked out. Well, I don't even know if there was enough room to work out, you know. And... On high tide days, the lower level cells would flood. So not only can you not stand up straight, you're soaking wet. I don't know how deep the cells would get with water, but enough where it was extremely uncomfortable. And obviously the water's cold, so it's not helpful in that sense either. And I'm sure they didn't have toilets or anything, so that water comes up. It's just gross, nasty water. Ugh. Because the people imprisoned in the wells were charged with very serious crimes, they often didn't get out alive. So they would leave a trace of themselves by carving into the wood of the room. And if you visit today, you can see some of the artwork done. Specifically in cell 10, the artwork was by Ricardo Perucolo, who was a painter before being imprisoned for heresy, since he believed in Lutheran's teachings that went against the Pope. Look, I grew up Lutheran. The Pope and I would not have been friends. So much torture happened in the prison as well and specifically to Ricardo, that he chose to confess instead of suffer. So they tortured him so severely that he kind of gave into the... He just told them what they wanted to hear. He's like, I'll still believe in Lutheranism and that part of Christianity, but I'm going to tell these Catholics that Sure, the Pope's great. I believe everything. He's the one. Just so he didn't have to suffer any longer. 
And after being released, he continued his belief in reforming the Catholic Church and 20 years later was publicly staked in 1568 in St. Mark's Square. And if he didn't confess, he would have been tortured a numerous amount of ways. But a common practice was tying inmates to chairs, leaning their head back, and continuously dripping ice-cold water on their foreheads until they confessed. Which, on paper, doesn't seem horrible, but the drip was always in the same place and a very steady drip over time, and it led these men to madness from not getting any food or sleep, muscle damage, and then possible death. And as I mentioned in a previous episode, another common practice was trying or was tying inmates' wrists behind their back and stringing them up until they confessed. The other prison in the palace was in the attic, Piombi, also called the Leeds or the Leds. Leeds sounds better, but I think it's the Leds because part of the roof was made with lead. Anyway, this prison was more glamorous, and I use glamorous lightly, you know, it is still a prison, but it is much better than the wells. It's where convicted noblemen went, and slightly less serious offenders hung out. And it's called the leads because the roof was lead, though it was covered with wood on the inside. And in the summer, it would get incredibly hot and the winter severely cold. Also, the inmates didn't have any sunlight, or they had some sunlight because there was a small window overlooking the Rio di Palazzo. So they had a little bit of sunlight, whereas the wells didn't really have any. And in the Piombi, there were six cells but they, and they were slightly larger. These prisoners were also allowed objects to be delivered from family and friends. They had better food, sometimes wine. Eventually an infirmary was put in so they could have medical attention. So pretty much this was like luxury prison for the time. You don't have to worry about flooding. You don't have to worry about cramped quarters. You got a little bit of sunlight. And even though it did get really hot and really cold up there, you're still much better off. And famously, a man named Giacomo Casanova was imprisoned in the leads for fraud, gambling, Freemasonry, slander, witchcraft, and libertism. The most exciting part isn't of his stay in the prison, but of Giacomo's escape. We're going to take a short break, and I will be right back with his Giacomo's escape from Piombi prison.
Okay, we are back. So Giacomo was arrested without a trial and sentenced to five years. Remember, the Inquisitors really didn't get, they didn't give a fuck. They were like, we think you're guilty, prison. You don't deserve a trial, prison. You looked at me wrong, prison. Giacomo's cell was apparently the worst of the bunch. But again, it's all relative. Worst of the bunch in Piombi. Remember, they still had the wells that people were in and suffering. He suffered, as they all did, from the summer heat, darkness, and millions of fleas. And let me tell you, bugs probably the worst thing on this planet. I get their relevance. I get it. Don't need them near me. Stay outside. The ecosystem is fine without you being inside my house. Get out. Hate bugs. Fleas are disgusting. Fleas cause disease. Fleas can carry pathogens that cause human diseases like the plague typhus, cat scratch disease, parasites like tapeworms can spread to people. It's so gross. I can't. It's really nasty. Bugs need to stay the fuck away from me and to be covered in millions of fleas. And I'm sure the prisoner or the guards didn't give a shit. It's so nasty. Once I was, um, I stayed in a house in Puerto Rico and they didn't have glass in the windows. So it's just kind of like an open air type situation. And the amount of bugs I would wake up to, the mosquitoes I battled with on the daily, there were lizards climbing up the walls. There was a huge fucking cockroach out like uh, the shower situation was also outside um, outdoor shower, which was kind of nice, but there's a giant fucking cockroach climbing up the wall. It was seriously so disgusting, and I can't handle it. I mean, look, spiders are my least favorite out of all. I don't know if spiders are considered bugs. My brother would hate me, but they're the worst. My backyard dogs two german shepherds um no i have bad experiences with spiders i think i'm traumatized from being bitten by multiple spiders in my life we cut down a christmas tree because we wanted a real evergreen in our house growing up and suddenly the tree looked like it was moving and when we looked closer it was basically just a bunch of baby spiders crawling all within the tree and I think it's because the tree was brought inside and so the heat hatched all these spiders and we pulled the angel off the top and inside the angel was just all these spiders came crawling out it was the most traumatizing thing one of the most traumatizing things I've ever been through it's horrible I really can't with spiders bugs ugh. fleas meh ugh. Anyway, eventually, 
Giacomo was given books and bedding for the winter. He was like a good prisoner. Like as much as all this was happening, I don't think he complained much. He was like a model prisoner. And so they gave him bedding. They gave him books for the winter as well as time spent out of the cell. And let's get this straight. That only means he was allowed to walk around inside in front of the cells. There was no outdoor courtyard to play basketball. There was no walking through grass. It was literally just you walked back and forth in front of your cell. One day, though, he came across some black marble and an iron bar that he smuggled back to his cell. And for two weeks, he sharpened the iron bar into a spike. And when no one was around, he began to pierce the wood under his bed and create a hole. And he knew that the prison was above the Inquisitor's chambers. So his idea was that he'd create this hole And when no one was using the chambers, he would slip down through the hole into the Inquisitors, swap clothes, do what he needed to do to escape. However, without notice, he was moved from that cell to a larger one with light and a view for being a model stand-up prisoner. My question is, who got the shitty cell and realized there was a hole in the floor? Because... I'm sure the prisoner kept him to himself so he would be able to escape as well, but obviously the hole wasn't big enough to slip through yet. I'm just curious if the guards ever found out. If another prisoner escaped, who knows? But Giacomo's in this new prison, much bigger. He has a roommate in this prison cell instead of the other one raised by himself, this one. He has a a roommate. And next door to his bigger room, I say room, cell, bigger cell, uh, next door was an inmate, and his name was Father Balbi. Now, Father Balbi was Balbi, Balbi, whatever. He was a renegade priest and wanted to escape just as much as Giacomo. And you'll find that a lot back in. Priests, I feel like priests were very... They're not as submissive as they are today. They were very outspoken, maybe because there were a lot of priests. So of course you're going to have more variance in opinions and views and personalities, but... I feel like there's a, there were a lot of priests that spoke the fuck up about like wrongdoings and such. Whereas now you hear it's like, if they're upset with something, they just leave the church. Anyway, even though Giacomo's escape attempt was foiled, he decided to try again. So he hid a pipe in a Bible which was then hidden under a huge plate of pasta and passed to Balbi, who then used the pipe to make a hole in his ceiling. Now, 
the logistics of this is quite funny. First of all, how big is this pipe? How big is this pot? <laughs> how big is this pipe? How big is this Bible? How big is this plate of pasta? And if it's that much pasta, who's who's questioning this heaping pile of pasta? Is it in a bowl? Is it on a plate? I'm just thinking, okay, if it's a smaller piece of pipe and you cut out the pages of a Bible and you hide the pipe in your Bible, like so many people have hidden money in Bibles or books and drugs and whatever, if you hide this pipe in this Bible and then put what kind of pasta? Is it lasagna and you bake the Bible in? I'm just trying to think how this guard didn't see a Bible under a pile of pasta. Spaghetti? Just a ton? Does it have meatballs? I need more details. Someone in Venice, I need either a painting of this exchange, I need written testimony, I need something because this is so far-fetched and hilarious that Italians are using pasta to smuggle pipes. It's perfect. It's You couldn't write something as good as this. So Bobby took the pipe, made a hole in his ceiling large enough to climb through. Again, I don't know what these guards are doing. You don't see a giant hole in your ceiling. And I don't know how you cover that up either. Like obviously the hole in the floor under the bed. Fine. The guards aren't really going into your room at this point, probably that often to see like, what are you up to in here? But to conceal a hole in your ceiling, he must have been like booking it, like chisel that shit fast. So I don't know. It, I, these guards are snoozing like Pirates of the Caribbean, sleeping on the chair and they got to call the dog for the keys. This is ridiculous. But Father Balby climbed on the roof of the cell and made a hole in Giacomo's ceiling as well. When Giacomo climbed out of the hole, he left a note behind quoting Psalm 117, which is, if you don't know, quote, I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord, unquote. Now his roommate, from my understanding, was too scared to leave and go with them. Other people, historians, have said that his roommate was kind of a spy for Inquisitors. And so he didn't want to get on their bad side because he probably got benefits from doing that. But it was just Giacomo and Father Balbi who escaped from this prison. Together, they ripped the wood off the roof and pried through the lead tiles and onto the roof of the palace. And because they were too far up to jump into the canal, they decided to use a bedsheet as a rope 
and lower themselves 20 feet to a balcony where they broke a window and snuck into the palace itself. And again, we got everything. We got pipes, Bibles, pasta, holes in ceilings, bed sheets used as ropes. And inside the palace, they rested till morning, changed their clothes, and then crept through the palace until they reached the front door, where they convinced a guard that they had been locked in the palace from a visit that they had earlier in the day for an official function. And the guard was like, oh, okay, sorry you got locked in. I'm sure, (laughs) I mean, the palace is big, but like, you can't get that lost if you're there with a bunch of other people for a function. He opened the door for them and Giacomo and Balbi hopped into a gondola and paddled away and escaped. Like, I don't know if these guards weren't edgy. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure what happened to Father Balbi, but Giacomo made it to Paris and released a book called Story of My Flight. And if you were uh, looking for a book to read, Story of My Flight, nonfiction. Eventually, Giacomo was allowed back in Venice after he sent in an appeal to the Inquisitors. They responded with, quote, We inquisitors of state, for reasons known to us, give Giacomo Casanova a free safe conduct, empowering him to come, go, stop, and return, hold communication whoever he pleases without let or hindrance. So is our will, unquote. First of all, Not only were these people wordy as fuck back in the day, but the phrase, for reasons known to us, kills me. These men are like, we ain't gotta explain shit. We do what we want, and if we want this man back in the city, so be it. I don't know why Giacomo would, I mean, maybe his family's still in Venice, but if I'm being chased out of a city, there's no way in hell I'm going back to it. Maybe it's a power move. Maybe Giacomo is like, I'm famous now. I wrote this book about my escape. I have leverage. Also, <laughs> empowering him to come, go, stop, and return just reminds me of that hairspray song. That I always change the words to, but like, please don't stop. No, please. Uh, Mama, I'm a big girl now. Come, go, stop, and return. Come, go, stop. Celebrities have been getting away with this shit for thousands of years. Celebs can do whatever the hell they want. They got the money. They got the influence. They got the power. Just like the guy trying to commit mutiny on the Pope, the Pope was like, or the Doge, the Doge was like, eh, we're not going to execute him. He's too famous. Let him go. It's like, for what? You killed all these other people for following him. I laughed so hard reading this next part. 
there was an account of Giacomo when he was around 50 years old. After going through smallpox, prison, and excommunication, and it all has gotten gotten to him. Like, that's a lot to go through in a lifetime. Smallpox alone is a lot to go through in a lifetime. Prison alone is a lot to go through in a lifetime. To do that all together, it's a lot. I get it. But put on your reading glasses because the library is open. There was this man. He was asked about Giacomo, and when he was describing him, he said, quote, Giacomo would be a good-looking man if he were not ugly, unquote. I'm gagged. He would be a good-looking man if he were not ugly. (laughs) The art of language is lost today. It's so simple and yet so powerful. Giacomo would be a good-looking man if he were not ugly. (laughs) Okay. On to the new prison. Oh, to wrap up Giacomo, I think he lived the, the rest of his days in Venice and there wasn't much else to say. I think he may have come out with another book, but didn't nearly do as well as his first book about his escape. I'm just, it's just wild to me that he escaped prison and the guards were like, eh, okay. You worked for it. It's fine. Live your life. (laughs) Maybe they saw him and were like, eh, prison aged you. You're going to die anyway. So, so those are the two prisons that were in the Doge's palace, Pionbi, Potsi, the Wells, the Leds. Now there's the new prison. Obviously, 15 cells in the Doge's Palace wasn't enough for the ever-growing crimes. Also, because the Wells was in such horrible living conditions, the awful smell was rising in the courtroom, or the courtroom and the courtyard of the palace, and they couldn't hide the smell any longer. So the Council of Ten thought best to build a safe, exclusive prison and they chose a spot right across the canal from the palace and that would be the new prison that also still stands today the doge's palace is still there you can visit that the new prison is still there you can visit that the designs for the new prisons began in 1563 and it was the first european example of a building exclusive for a state-run prison. They wanted better ventilation, natural lighting, and larger spaces. So they took a pre-standing building and put a courtyard in the middle to gain lighting from all sides. The two-story building was able to house 400 prisoners, and the building was connected to the palace with the courtrooms by the Bridge of Size. Size from the prisoners, size after seeing the outside world for the last time through the little slotted windows on the bridge. That's how it got its name. 
While doing research, I found this other prison that's outside Naples on an island. And historians call it like Italian Alcatraz, Italy's Alcatraz, though I'm, it was created long before Alcatraz was. But it's a really fascinating prison. And it's like a half moon, I believe, circle. And it was designed so a guard could, you only needed one guard to see all the cells. Maybe I'll talk about that in a bonus episode. It's really fascinating. I'm interested in it. But the Lords of the Night ran this new prison in Venice. There were six members of the Lords of Night representing the six districts of Venice. And their name comes from their responsibility of Mont monitoring the streets of Venice at night and prosecuting theft, murder, bigamy, assault, firearms, conspiracy, homelessness, fraud, etc. So they kind of process not as, well, they process murder. I don't know. It From the readings, it seems like they dealt with lesser crimes than, say, the Council of Ten and the Inquisitors. Or I should say the Lords of Night probably dealt with more domestic issues where Council of Ten Inquisitors were more governmental issues, religious issues, state issues. One spot that was known for assault and robbery was Rio Terra, Deli Assassini near St. Mark's Square. Many noblemen would use the bridge and street at night to not be seen headed to the brothels. But because it was so narrow and dark, they would get cornered and robbed. In 1507, a baker, Piero Tasca, was beheaded for murder. Under torture, he confessed to the murder of a noble. Piero was found next to a dead nobleman laying between the bridge of assassins and the brothels holding a knife. However, a few weeks after he was beheaded, a man confessed to that murder, proving that Piero was innocent. Piero was walking across the bridge and found the body and picked up a knife and the knife had gems encrusted on the handle. So obviously it was the nobleman's knife. And this miscarriage of justice led to the phrase, Recordeve del poaro fornaretto, which means remember the poor baker. And the Council of Ten would use this phrase prior to passing a judgment. The assaults got so bad that the Lords of Night ordered that the alleyways had to be illuminated with lanterns and that priests of the city were required to light them every night. Also, everyone moving at night had to carry a lamp, or if you were richer, you had to have your servants carry the lamp for you. And it wasn't until the 1700s that street lamps were installed, making the city safer late at night. Venice also has an alley named the Alley of Death, 
due to the amount of murders that happened late at night in the alley. And the rumor is that the people who died in the alley were lured there by government officials to be murdered. So it's basically state-sanctified murder when they didn't have enough to convict them. The Doge's Palace sits in St. Mark's Square, like I was saying, right next to the San Marco and Santa Daro columns that I talked about a couple episodes ago. I mentioned the executions that happened between the columns, and the Doge would watch the executions from his palace. And if you look at a photo or if you've been there, there are a bunch of columns surrounding the palace on the second level. And on the St. Mark's side of the palace, there are two pillars that don't match the surrounding white facade. That is where the doge would watch the executions. And we know there are ghosts wandering the square, but there are also plenty of ghosts in the palace as well. And you can tour the palace But if you don't want to spend the money, you can still see remnants of the prisons from the outside with the bridge of size and the barred windows where prisoners could reach out begging for food. And that's in an alleyway behind the prison. The canal the bridge of size crosses was also where dead bodies found in the canals would be pulled out for the public to view so they could identify the dead. So that canal area is also super haunted because it has a lot of history of dead people being laid out along the canal. So yeah, if you ever visit these prisons, make sure you take plenty of photos. Maybe you'll capture a ghost looming about one that's been the one that died in the prison, you know, there were plenty that probably hang out for lack of justice because at the time no one really cared about getting it right. They just wanted to quickly do something about it. Well, that's not always the best answer, unfortunately. But thank you all for joining me this episode. To make sure you don't miss out on any future episodes, click that follow and or subscribe button. I love learning about the city's dark past and bring it to you every week. So thank you for listening. So I have someone to tell these stories to. Make sure you're following the Haunted Hometowns Instagram and Twitter for photos related to each episode. When I have guests joining and of course upcoming news, like if I come out with some bonus episodes check those check the socials out for that and i would love to start reading listeners ghost stories on this podcast so please send your stories to haunted hometowns podcast at gmail.com or dm dm the socials could be anything from your realistic tattoo of selena winking at you to your child whispering to themselves with their eyes rolled back into their heads let me know and i hope you'll join me in a week for another venice haunting Because everyone loves a ghost story. I got my information from Wikipedia, Ballot Boy, Visit Venezia, and Smart Trippin'. Follow the 
amazing artist who created the artwork for this podcast, Pepe Munoz, p.e.p.e.munoz, M-U-N-O-Z. And the theme music is by Tyer. Follow him on social media at Queer Pop Star. And listen to his music on Spotify or Apple Music or anywhere you get your music. T-H-A-I-R. 